Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. Since the beginning of last week, residents of Gaza have been subjected to nightly Israeli airstrikes that have left 228 Palestinians dead, including, according to the Gaza Health Authorities, more than 100 women and children. Over the same period, rockets fired nightly into Israel by militants in Gaza have caused panic there, sending people rushing to air shelters for cover. Twelve people, including two children, have been killed in Israel, according to the authorities there. The exchanges began after weeks of rising Israeli-Palestinian tensions in East Jerusalem that culminated in a raid by Israeli police on the Al-Aqsa Mosque that left hundreds of Palestinians and some 20 police officers injured. Palestinians had been protesting over plans to expel Palestinian residents from the Sheikh Jarrah neighbourhood of East Jerusalem to make way for Jewish families. Now, well into the second week of the most serious Israeli-Palestinian clashes since the 2014 Gaza war, there is increasing speculation that a ceasefire is in sight. For more on that, I'm joined by our correspondent in Jerusalem, Mark Weiss. Mark, a lot of talk about a ceasefire. How realistic is it and how close is it? Um, We're clearly now in the end game. Um, Pressure is mounting. Uh, Critical uh, in this pressure was a phone call yesterday from President Biden to Prime Minister Netanyahu when he made it quite clear that the US now expects Israel to move towards a ceasefire. There's no deal yet. Uh, The negotiations are continuing. And of course, this is a very fluid situation with missiles flying on both sides. Um, But the expectation is that without a major disaster on either side, uh, there will be a truce probably within 24 hours that is likely to go into effect on Friday. And what are both sides saying publicly about the prospect of a ceasefire? Uh, It's been clear that Hamas, uh, for quite a few days already, is willing to accept a ceasefire. Um, We don't know the terms yet, of course. Um, The Israeli side, it's a bit more sensitive. uh, At a public opinion poll uh, today said that uh, more than 70% of Israelis uh, would prefer the... um, the fighting to continue. Um, this is an indication that for, for most Israelis, I don't think they've uh, considered this um, military operation a success. It hasn't brought about um, um, enough pounding of Hamas to uh, lead to a situation that they will stop firing rockets at Israel, Israel uh, in the foreseeable future. Um, Israeli officials have said they 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 would see uh, a five-year period of quiet after this round as a success, but there is no guarantee that this will happen. Hamas has been very um, hard hit, uh, of course, by all these Israeli raids, and it's likely to take them uh, a good few years to recover and build up their uh, military stockpile again. But even if um, a ceasefire is reached, from the Israeli perspective, there is no, um, there is no uh, proof that Hamas will stop firing missiles. What has happened? Remember, this is the fourth serious conflict between Hamas and Israel since Hamas took control of the Gaza Strip in 2007. And I think most Israelis, um, uh, unfortunately, believe that uh, more rounds are to come in the future. You've touched on something there, Mark, that I'd like to return to in a moment, and that's the question of Israeli public opinion in, in all of this. But just to stay for the moment with the question of a ceasefire, who are the critical players here? You mentioned uh, President Biden. Has his sort of shift in tone over the past few days, has that been a crucial factor? 
I think so. I think uh, U.S. pressure on Israel is the key factor. There is always pressure, remember, in this kind of military campaign to just keep it going for a few more days in the hope that uh, more strategic targets can be hit. Uh, particularly, Israel has failed to take out uh, any of the most senior Hamas leaders, both militarily and on the political front. They, there was reports two days ago that there was two um, assassination attempts on Hamas military leader, Mohammed Daif. Both of those attempts um, failed. The Israeli intelligence is obviously monitoring very closely the movements of the Hamas leadership. And that would be an incentive for the military to continue until they can uh, uh, successfully carry out a targeted assassination against the Hamas leadership. That hasn't happened. So there is uh, an incentive to continue the campaign as far as Israel is concerned. But um, other military figures have already said that the campaign is nearing its uh, usefulness now. There's no longer uh, a military necessity to continue it. And the, there is a danger, of course, uh, of continuing the campaign could lead to um, uh, a successful Hamas uh, uh, rocket strike that would have uh, mass casualties in Israel. I don't like to use the expression only because, of course, each life is um, a tragedy. But Hamas has only killed uh, 12 Israelis uh, in, during this campaign. That's an average of almost one a day, if you like. Uh, no great success as far as they're concerned on that front. And the danger is, as long as it continues from the Israeli perspective, that will change. Just to recap, Mark, on those kind of rising tensions in East Jerusalem that led to this conflict in the first place, can you just tell us a bit more about what was involved there? It was a perfect storm, if you like, of seemingly unrelated events that all came together at the same time that led to a very tense situation that was the spark of uh, the current conflict in Gaza. There was the cancellation of the Palestinian elections, where Hamas was poised to uh, take control of the Palestinian parliament, or at least emerge as the single uh, largest party. When those elections were cancelled, that left Hamas waiting for any opportunity um, that it could prove that it was the party defending Palestinian rights. So that's the background. Then we had the beginning of Ramadan, the uh, Muslim holy month, the fast month. Um, and what happens in Jerusalem uh, during Ramadan is that the, uh, the Muslims at the end of the fast day tend to gather uh, ahead of the uh, iftar, the meal that they break the fast. And the most popular place for um, gathering, particularly of young people, is at the, at the Damascus Gate entrance to the Old City. Uh, where hundred, many hundreds will gather every night during Ramadan. What the Israeli police did uh, is that they closed off that whole area. Uh, and that led to um, major tension uh, inside East Jerusalem. Uh, and then we had, of course, um, the, uh, the events in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, where um, a number of Israeli families have purchased apartments uh, that are currently uh, owned by Palestinians, forcing the eviction of the Palestinians. Now, that went through the Israeli court system, and the court upheld uh, the evictions. That was about to take place also during the month of Ramadan. So we had all this coming together, and then we had uh, the riots and the Israeli troops storming the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which, of course, is the most sensitive uh, real estate in the entire Middle East. Um, so all that came together. Tensions were boiling, 
And then Hamas, uh, from Gaza, issued an ultimatum to Israel that the Israeli police uh, should uh, withdraw immediately from both the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood and the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, something that they knew, of course, Israel would not agree to. Shortly after that ultimatum was issued, the rocket fire started. And as you know, Mark, the period just before a ceasefire can often be extremely dangerous and be the most volatile because one or other or both of the, of the protagonists might seek to have one last, you know, spectacular gain before time is called. What's your sense about this conflict? Do you, do you feel we're in that kind of volatile phase now or are there signs that things are already beginning to calm down? I think we're in this, it appears to be in the stage now of gradually winding down. There have been less strikes from both sides today and yesterday to some extent. But as you said, uh, the minute a ceasefire is uh, announced, that's when we get into the very dangerous game because probably both sides, certainly Hamas, based on previous experience, will try uh, probably a last barrage into the greater Tel Aviv area to be able to tell their public that not only uh, did they succeed throughout this campaign of firing rockets into Israel every day, but just before the truce went into effect, they managed to hit the enemy very hard. That's, uh, that's been the pattern on all previous ceasefires, and Israel is bracing for that this time. Uh, interviews today on Israeli radio with political and military uh, officials, they've all stressed that, uh, that the public should maintain its level of awareness right until the ceasefire goes into effect, particularly when it comes to following the instructions of the uh, civil defense authorities Make sure you go to the bomb shelters, the minute you hear a siren. Stay there for 10 minutes until the, uh, after the siren stops. Uh, no nonchalance. Uh, keep up your guard until the very end. Just to come back then, Mark, to that question of public opinion, you, you've kind of addressed it there earlier, um, mentioning how much support there is in Israel for continuing this, this, um, these operations. Um, Israel, as you know, has been condemned around the world for its actions over the past 10 or 11 days. Hamas has also been condemned for indiscriminately firing rockets at residential areas in Israel with no apparent concern for whom they might kill or indeed even for the people inside Gaza who they know will suffer the backlash. But much of the criticism of Israel, Mark, is focused on the proportionality of the response when you have a death toll on one side of 228 and 12 on the other. Nevertheless, you say there's still wide support in Israel for its actions here. Look, I think the atmosphere in Israel is not a, jingoist, a jingoistic, uh, militarist um, attitude, pro-war I think the majority of Israelis would buy into the argument that once uh, Hamas opened this current round with a, a massive barrage of rockets into Israel, the, the, the government really had no uh, choice but to respond heavily and hit the Hamas infrastructure as best as it could. Um, uh, it's more of the feeling of, oh, here we go again, another um, round with Hamas that will probably end with no one uh, being able to claim victory because it never does. It always ends in some kind of draw, a draw where both sides lose, if you like. Um, it's clear to the Israeli public that the only way Israel will defeat um, Hamas militarily is by a ground incursion. And there's no appetite for that, it must be said. Uh, the cost of, of such a move um, would be, um, you know, probably... Uh, dozens, if not more, soldiers killed. Israel would have to go into the Gaza Strip um, for many months, maybe even up to a year, go house to house, go tunnel to tunnel, 
with uh, massive casualties. And even after that, even if Israel succeeded in defeating totally and destroying totally the Hamas military infrastructure, then what? There's no appetite in Israel to um, reoccupy the Gaza Strip with everything that entails. So this is basically as far as as I think most Israelis uh, would say is it's an ongoing situation that really Israel cannot win. And and every time uh, there is a a renewed uh, conflict, and as I said, there have been four rounds of major um, conflict so, so far since Hamas came to power, then the attitude of most Israelis is that reluctantly Israel has no choice. The impression many people would seem to have around the world, and I, I don't want to overgeneralize because, of course, there are multiple opinions on on this, not just in, in the immediate area of conflict, but around the world. But the impression many people would have is that in Israel, the Palestinian, Palestinian life doesn't seem to matter as much as in Israeli life. Is that a fair impression? Or can you understand why many people would kind of have that view? Look, Israel is never going to win the PR war in this kind of conflict. Um, when you are attacking uh, from the air uh, with massive uh, waves of airstrikes, Hamas positions that are surrounded by civilian population, it's inevitable there will be civilian casualties, including um, many Mm -hmm. children. Um, um, I don't think the Israelis believe that Palestinian lives are less important, um, and there's no calls for mass mass bombing of civilian areas or anything like that. Um, uh, but of course, I think the priority for Israelis is, is their own population's life. As long as Israelis believe, rightly or wrongly, that this current round was uh, justified and that the political leadership was not leading them into a war that could have been avoided, then I think there's broad broad uh, support. Even though, as I said, um, probably most Israelis believe that this ultimately is a conflict that cannot really be won by any of the sides. Does international public opinion have much influence in, in, in Israel, either with those in power or with the public at large? It does, to a certain extent. Um, no one likes to be uh, portrayed uh, as, uh, you know, a killer of innocent children, etc., etc., uh, but there is a feeling in Israel that, um, and if this is said time in almost every interview you'll hear with an Israeli official, that uh, in, in, in democratic countries certainly, as we know, what would you do if your uh, uh, cities were under attack from rocket fire? How would you respond? Um, and uh, Israelis, I think a lot of Israelis do believe, rightly or wrongly, that uh, um, people who have sympathy with the Palestinian cause. Uh, would find it difficult to answer that question. How would they respond if their country was under similar rocket attack, that if in their country the entire south of the country has to spend uh, in two weeks in bomb shelters and also a lot of the centre of the country's schools closed down, uh, etc., etc., the disruption it brings along with the destruction and the death. How, how, how does a democratic country respond to such an attack? Just then, Mark, to look at the politics of this in in Israel, the last couple of years have been particularly volatile ones in Israeli politics. That's something you've been reporting on extensively for us. Has that been a factor at all in the developments of recent days? And what I'm thinking of is uh, if Benjamin Netanyahu was in a more secure position, might he have had more room to manoeuvre? It's a very interesting question, and it remains to be seen how it will play out. It's already had one um, significant uh, impact on the political scene. 
in the sense that just before the conflict started, the coalition of parties that were opposed to Benjamin Netanyahu were very close to clinching an agreement on forming um, an alternative government that would have meant the end of the Netanyahu era. Um, but one of the uh, um, results of this conflict in Gaza has been a, a wave of communal conflict that spread throughout Israel like wildfire, uh, leading to clashes between Arabs and Jews in many locations, scenes that we haven't seen in this country in generations. Um, one of the right-wing parties in the anti-Netanyahu coalition, uh, led by the uh, Yamina party, left, led by Naftali Bennett, concluded that with such an atmosphere raging in Israel, this was not the time uh, for a right-wing party to join with um, Arab parties and the left in a coalition against Netanyahu. And Naftali Bennett uh, called off his contacts to form an alternative government. When this conflict is over, the anti-Netanyahu forces will have about two weeks left for their mandate to form a government. It's not clear how they can do that without Naftali Bennett. And Israel could be heading, because of this, for fifth elections, which would suit Netanyahu, because it would keep him in power for another six months until the elections can take place and the government is formed, etc. And it may even mean that um, he has a chance again of uh, becoming the next prime minister. So just then, Mark, to come back to the question of the ceasefire, how quickly do you expect developments to move over the next 24 or 48 hours? Well, I said at the beginning that we, it appears now that we are in the end game and contacts are continuing over the details of a ceasefire. The, there have been... Um, comments that it's expected the ceasefire uh, will be in place uh, tomorrow, Friday. Um, but again, until it's uh, a done deal, it's not, uh, it's not necessarily going to happen. That's the hope uh, of most parties here. But um, anything can happen. And once we do get this ceasefire mark, which we all hope is coming very soon, where do recent events then leave the Middle East peace process. We have, we have a new administration in the White House. We have that kind of instability in, in Israel we've discussed. We have an increasingly assertive Hamas on the, on the Palestinian side. The conditions don't seem ideal in terms of, you know, immediate progress. What do you think? Well, there is no Middle East peace process at the moment, and there hasn't been for many years now. And there was really no expectation that the uh, change of uh, administration in the US would lead to a, US, or to a Middle East peace process. Um, the Biden administration has uh, shown um, little enthusiasm for engaging in the Middle East. They've seen previous administrations um, who tried to do this uh, end up with no positive results. Um, at the moment, the conflict seems to be simmering. Uh, Netanyahu's policy appears to be to manage the conflict as opposed to actually um, take any moves uh, that would lead to, uh, finally, to some kind of uh, rapprochement and some kind of long-term peace deal. Um, so pessimistic, I would say, on that front. Uh, and uh, I don't think necessarily this Gaza conflict will impact that in any ways. Uh, there was no peace, peace process, little prospect of a peace process, and I don't think that will change.
From the perspective of Hamas, uh, Mark, you said it would take them years to rebuild militarily after the damage they have suffered in this conflict. From their point of view, would it have been worth it? What have they achieved? Well, I think Hamas can claim a number of significant achievements, actually. Um, Less so militarily, uh, more on the political front. First of all, they took Israel by surprise uh, in launching this campaign. Uh, The initial barrage of rockets on Jerusalem was not expected, uh, so they took the initiative. Um, They also uh, managed to hit Tel Aviv, central Israel, on a number of occasions, managed to close uh, Israel's main airport, and importantly, they continued firing throughout the entire campaign, despite the massive Israeli uh, aerial strikes. I think Hamas has um, managed to re-establish itself, if you like, as the main defender of Palestinian rights. Remember that uh, um, recently the Palestinian Authority, led by Fatah, uh, President Mahmoud Abbas, Fatah, uh, Hamas's uh, rivals in the Palestinian uh, arena, they called off Palestinian elections that were due to take place in the summer because basically they feared Hamas would win. Now Hamas uh, has seized an opportunity to re-establish itself as the main defender of Palestinian rights, if you like. And at the same time, uh, they've succeeded in putting the question of Jerusalem right back center stage uh, by launching this campaign. And most importantly, I think uh, Hamas would view its biggest success as the uh, wave of communal riots that uh, spread throughout Israel. Uh, They can chalk that up uh, as another success um, they've achieved in this campaign. So from Hamas's perspective, yes, definitely a list of um, successes from their perspective. And have those communal riots abated, Mark? Because we heard a lot about those in the early days of this this conflict, but not so much in recent days. They have uh, died down quite a lot. Uh, police uh, moved massive reinforcements into these areas, including even drafting um, uh, border police from the West Bank into Israel, something that's never happened before. So there was police on the streets. There was a nighttime curfew in some areas, such as Lod. They also enlisted the um, the Israeli security agency, the Shin Bet, the internal intelligence um, unit, to... Um, to try uh, quickly um, arrest as many suspects as they can. Um, the question is not what's happening now. The question is the long-term impact of these uh, these events uh, on the fabric of Israeli society, because there have never been such a hatred and tension between uh, Israeli Arabs and Jews. I mean, we had five synagogues burnt down in these attacks. We had uh, Jewish properties and restaurants and Airbnbs are burned down in places like Akko. And it's going to take many years um, to uh, restore uh, coexistence in these areas. Uh, a very sad situation, uh, a situation many people in Israel uh, are now in despair over. Mark Weiss in Jerusalem, thank you. And now some news. This is the last episode of the Worldview podcast, for now at least. It's been my pleasure to present this podcast for the past four years, sharing the duty occasionally with my colleague on the Irish Times Foreign Desk, Dave McKechnie, and building on the work that Patrick Smith and Dennis Staunton, my predecessors in the Worldview chair, had done to create and develop the show. While the Worldview is ending, it's not the end of foreign affairs podcasting by the Irish Times. And if you stay tuned to this podcast feed, we will post information about our new project very soon. To all our listeners, thank you for supporting this podcast. Goodbye for now.